So this is my next to last time that I get to address you in 2023. This is my next to the last time of wrapping up what has been a year that many of you have been excited about, many of you have been worn out from, and many of you are just happy to see go. I'm going to talk to you both tonight and this morning from the same passage of Scripture. That's why I told you that if you uh, can, to be back tonight. I understand, again, I understand if you can't, but um, I'm going to be taking both sermons this morning and tonight from the same passage of Scripture. Now, the same passage of Scripture is going to be Luke chapter 1. This morning's message is titled, It's About Time. It's, <laughs> it's about time. It's about time. Uh, we just celebrated Christmas, and I'm going to be honest with you, this week, uh, and I don't mean this week and just this year, I'm talking about this week every year is a weird week. Because you spend six, seven, maybe eight weeks gearing up for Christmas. You're running a thousand miles an hour. You've got the lights. You've got the trees. You've got the decorations. You've got the parties. Your kids have programs at school. We do Christmas at the movies here at church. There's always programs to go to and family functions. And it's all about Christmas all the time. And then... It's like Christmas is over, and we're supposed to just pack it all up real fast because Christmas is all about whatever it is that it invokes in you. And most people, let's be honest, most people, Christmas is all about looking back. Christmas is more about memories. As a matter of fact, what I have discovered is Christmas seems to be wasted in the moment because most of us look back more than we enjoy where we're at. We look back when the kids were small. We look back to when we were small and mom and dad was still alive. We look back to the big family dinners we used to have when all the aunts and uncles and cousins were there. We look back. That's what it seems to, to be. Every time we get together, nobody is talking about what's happening now. We all get together and talk about Remember when we were kids and we all go sleigh riding? Remember when we were little and we'd go and look at the lights? Remember when we were little and Dad used to sing that song? It seems like it's always about looking back. And then as soon as Christmas is over, we pack it all up and we start looking forward. What about right now? What, what about the present moment? What about the present of the present? You, 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 have, you have looked back for six, seven weeks. You've looked back at, at, at you've gotten old pictures out. You've gotten old albums uh, out. You've, you've read old cards that you had tucked away, and, and you use them as decorations. And you've spent all this season looking back, and now we're going to come in, and, and after uh, we're going to slam the brakes on the past, and we're all going to start projecting toward the future. Why are we going to waste right now? What if God could do something right now that would make what has already happened look small and make you not hungry for what's to come? Yeah, yeah, I came this morning to preach. It's about time. It, 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 it's, it's about time for me to experience God in my life right now, where I'm dwelling, where I'm living, where I'm breathing, to quit looking forward to something, but instead enjoy something right now. Can I hear somebody say amen? Uh -huh. So our text this morning is going to be taken from a time, both this morning and tonight, be taken from a time actually before Mary was even pregnant with baby Jesus. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand for the reading of God's holy word. We're going to take our text from Luke chapter 1. This is before, even though we just celebrated Christmas, <laughs> this is before Mary was pregnant. We're actually going to be looking at the announcement of the birth of Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1 beginning with verse 6. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving, in the, serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. 
As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. That's going to be important in my sermon tonight, but we're not going to dwell on it this morning. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing right in of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness. Many will rejoice in his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. That's a word for some of y'all here on New Year's Eve. That's just free. That's free. That's not my sermon. That's free. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. And the angel said, I am Gabriel. I said that so loud because it's an exclamation point. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. And this is my message this morning. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. What if I told you it's about time. <laughs> what if I told you that it's just about time? That what you have been waiting, help me, in the church this morning, y'all waiting for the night to get your shout on, it's just about time. If I can convince one person this morning to hold on just a little bit longer because it's just about time. If I can get one person that is waiting for 2023 to be over so that you can finally take a breath and embrace a new year, that, that I don't want you looking forward. I want you to look in right now because what if right now was the time? What if today was the moment? What if right now you're not waiting on another person to come? You're not waiting on another financial breakthrough? You're not waiting on a doctor's but what if right now was your time and you missed it trying to look forward into something that may or may not ever show up? Right now, it's about time. Matter of fact, before you see it, why don't you find three or four people and tell them, what if I told you it's about time? Will you do that? Did you hear what the angel told Zechariah? He said, you didn't believe what God said. You, you heard the word of the Lord, but you had doubt. You didn't have faith. You met the promise with doubt. You asked God for something, and when the answer showed up, instead of embracing it, you rejected it. You asked God for something that apparently was too big for you to even receive. You wanted a baby, but when the angel of the Lord said you were getting one, you, your answer was, how can that be? I'm too old, and my wife is too old. Can I tell someone this morning that even when you don't believe, you can't stop heaven? Heaven's not going to be stopped just because you can't receive what it is God's trying to get to you. Now, you and I, I'm going to begin this morning, and I'm going to take my time to prepare 
your spirit and your heart and your mind to receive the truth of this gospel because you and I have a system of measurement that we call time. I'm going to break that down for you according to the word this morning. The angel of the Lord spoke to Zechariah and said God's word was going to happen in the proper time, right? Now, there's only so many hours in your day, but God's not limited to your time. You only have so many rotations around this sun, and one day you will run out of time. God is not limited the way you and I are. No, as a matter of fact, there are things that you are going to try to accomplish and you will never complete because you will run out of time. But such is not God's problem because God never runs out of time. God's not limited by our scales and our time. As a matter of fact, you and I base our entire existence about what it is we can get done in time. We speak about our lives being measured in time. We count years. Thank goodness that your mother stopped counting your age in months. You know how, you know how when you see a baby, you know, Veda is 14 months old. I, that's, that's what my wife and her mommy and all them say. I say she's a year old. Because I, I don't say that Hannah is 472 months next month. You know, at some point, you have to start, <laughs> you, you measure time differently, amen. And, and, and I don't want to talk about time as in general time. I, I want to talk about time as in the Bible's definition of time. As a matter of fact, you measure what you're going to accomplish. Let's say I, this weekend, I'm going to get my laundry done. What you have done is you have put a limitation on the time you're going to allow yourself to get laundry done. Before the weekend is over, I want to have all of my laundry done. You have set up a certain time. But I don't want to talk to you about general time. I don't want to talk about uh, time as something that you can establish the boundaries of. I want to talk about a very spe special moment in time that cannot be gauged by calendar pages or by hands on a clock. Because I want to talk to you about God's time. God's time that he uses to do something. In this passage, there was a reference to time. And it is the Hebrew word moed. Moed, which means an appointed time. Get this. An appointed place and an appointed season. In other words, what, I, what I'm saying to you is there are different kinds of time. Mm -hmm. Now, some of you are already gauging time. <laughs> In church, we use the word time, and we actually mean one of two different kinds of time. They're not the same kinds of time. One is the time chronos. Chronos can be measured. It can be gauged. It's what you're doing to me right now. Some of you are already saying, I'm going to give this fella about 25 more of my minutes, and then I'm going to slip out the back. That's chronos. That's measured time. But what I want to talk to you about is the other kind of time. It's called keros. Keros is God's time. It's how we describe things when we talk about times and seasons. It, it's, it's keros cannot be measured. Keros you don't see coming. Keros is when God gets ready to do a thing. When the angel spoke to Zechariah and told Zechariah, God's word would be fulfilled in the proper time, it was not meaning chronos. He was meaning keros. When you get ready to do something, you say, I'm going to do it at 1 o'clock. That's chronos. But God does things in keros time. And throughout our walk with the Lord, one of the most difficult seasons you will have is when you are spending chronos 
trying to obtain Kairos. Hmm. I, I was hoping this wouldn't be too deep for a, Saturday, a Sunday morning. You are on your knees pleading with God to answer you. You are spending chronos. You have been praying for months. You have been asking for years. You have been seeking for decades. That is chronos. It is measurable. However, no matter how much chronos you spend, you don't see kairos when it shows up. So you are spending chronos trying to establish kairos. You spend chronos begging, pleading, asking, seeking, and knocking, trying to accomplish something that is out of your control. Now, sometimes those two moments intersect. We get excited when that happens. Because sometimes I shout and victory shows up. Y'all not going to help me. Yeah, see, I'm shouting in Kronos, but Kairos happens to meet me at the moment that I open my mouth. That's exciting. When I get down on my knees to pray, and by the time I get up on my feet, God has already done the thing I asked for, that's exciting. That stokes the fire. That almost seems too easy and spoils us a little bit because we didn't have to spend too much Kronos before Kairos showed up. So sometimes you come out at an appointed time of Kronos. Let's say 10 o'clock tonight. And you come to promise a victory. You are at an appointed time of Kronos, but you don't know that Kairos is waiting on you before you get there. But where you struggle is when these two moments don't show up at the same time. So you keep praying and praying and spending chronos trying to get Kairos, having no idea when Kairos might actually happen. But I'm believing that some of you have touched heaven already. Y'all not, y'all not ready for this on a Sunday morning. But I believe that God has already put into my spirit that some of you have already spent all the chronos that you're going to have to spend and you are about to enter into a time when God has appointed some things to happen in your life to make some stuff happen that you have been trying too hard to make happen yourself. Let me give you an example from Scripture. Moses proclaimed that God was going to raise up a prophet for his people. That prophet's name was Jesus. That word was given thousands of years before Jesus ever appeared on the scene. It was a, it was a word spoken in Kronos about a Kairos. You don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen because God said so. These are things that are spoken not in time on a watch, but they are spoken to happen at the right time that God has appointed. God will give us a proclamation. Let me give you my first point this morning. We have to understand but before God does a thing, He decrees a thing. God speaks it and it's done. I wish I had a witness in the church. Maybe in the old church I would have got a shout right there. We used to sing an old song. Jesus said it. I believe it. And it is done. If you've been with me any time at all, you know <laughs> that it don't make no difference whether you believe it. <laughs> if Jesus said it, <laughs> you can skip right over your believing it. If Jesus said it, I said if Jesus said it, it is He's not waiting on you to believe it for it to be done. It don't have no option but to be done because when he said it, the power and authority says it will not come back to him until it's accomplished what he sent it out to do. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her, you are going to have a baby. She said, how's that about now? I know you an angel and I don't know if you know how human chemistry work but me and Joseph 
We still sleeping in separate beds. I have not known a man. How, how am I going to have a baby? The angel said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. And through a divine intervention, you will become pregnant with a child. Mary's answer was, just as you said it, let it be. The angel told her, you will get pregnant. Keros. He didn't give her a due date. Kronos. God will speak things over your life, but he don't always give you a due date. And some of you have given up too soon. Y'all not going to help me in this church this morning. But some of you have been holding on to promises that God spoke to you, but because it didn't show up when you wanted it, when you expected it, when you put demands on it, you gave up. But I'm here to tell you, if God said it, it's coming. It's coming. You can't stop it. Hell can't stop it. Demons can't stop it. Your lack of faith can't stop it. He said it. It's going to happen. And too many of us give up too soon. That's not going to stop God from doing what he said he was going to do. It's just going to cause you to miss it when it happens. Mm. Let me help you understand how this works in your life. In the Old Testament, the Israelites had several different feasts that God demanded. That's Kronos. He said at a certain time every year when your calendar hits this day, I want you in this place. And here's what he said. Your Kronos will meet my Keros. Because I have established that. He said, if you come and drop everything you're doing, and you come and meet with me, I will put favor on you. I will bless you. I will give abundantly to you. You won't have to wonder where I am because I'll make myself known to you. Your Kronos, sacrifice of Kronos, will meet my Keros because it is the proper time. He already established those dates to pour out favor on his people. You and I don't have such luxuries. Keros catches you off guard. Have you ever had a pain in your body? And you prayed, and you prayed, and you prayed. Maybe it was some kind of sickness. Maybe it was some kind of malady. Maybe it was just some kind of dysfunction. And you prayed, and you got so much oil put on your head you could fry chicken. You've had every prophet, every preacher, every pastor in the tri-state area lay hands on you, prophesy over you. And you still limping around. You still got that hurt. And then one day, you woke up and the Lord hadn't knocked you out in the Holy Ghost. He didn't send Gabriel to stand by your bedside. While you was asleep and wasn't even praying, speaking in tongues, or prophesying over yourself, while you was asleep, God just showed up, and all of a sudden you walk around going, my knee don't hurt no more. Has that ever happened to anybody? Like this thing that's happened to me all this time, all of a sudden it don't hurt no more. God had shown up with Kairos when you was least expecting it. He had had an appointed time. You didn't know it was coming. You couldn't prepare for its arrival. And you just woke up one day and God had shown up and showed off. That's Kairos. That's Kairos. Psalm 102 is believed to have been written by David while he was on the run from Absalom. Absalom, his son, was in rebellion trying to steal the kingdom away from David. And this is referred to as a prayer that David offered to God. When you read verse or chapter 102 of Psalms, just reading it will make you feel depressed. David spends 11 verses on and on and on. God, I'm sick. I'm down to skin and bones. I can't sleep at night. I've lost my finances and I feel all alone. My enemies laugh at me and taunt me all day long. For 11 verses, he just goes on and on and on telling how miserable his life is. And it will make you need Prozac. Reading what David is praying. But then you get to Psalm 102, chapter 12 and 13. And it says, but you, O Lord, are still on the throne. You will arise and have mercy on Zion. For the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. You have a set time. 
and it has come. I wish I could convince somebody to just replace Zion with your name. And when you wake up every morning, you say, you know what, God? You will arise in my life, and the time of my favor has come. I'm going to believe that you have favor for me, and I'm going to walk in my designated time. I believe my time has come. Is there anybody in this church that thinks it's about time for me? It's about time for me. It's about time for my healing. It's about time for my breakthrough. It's about time for my spiritual awakening. Another translation of this verse says it like this. The moment designated has come. So, 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 have you ever set an alarm clock? Some of you don't pay no attention to it. But when you set an alarm clock, that's a designated moment. It's a designated time. Some of you set cooking timers. Some of your cooking timers is the smoke alarm. You know when the fire trucks show up, it's done. Some of you set cooking timers, and you know that cooking timers is a designated time. And you know when that timer goes off, you respond. See, 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 see when that timer goes off, it changes your posture. Because you may have been sitting in the recliner with your feet up. You may be petting your pug dog like my wife does. You may be bouncing the grandbaby on your lap. You, you, you may be on the phone talking to somebody. You may be enthralled in your latest program that you are binge watching. But when that timer goes off, your posture will change. Because you know that something that was not possible before is now possible. Shit, y'all not going to help me. See, see, before that timer went off, you couldn't slice that turkey. Before that timer went off, you couldn't butter them rolls. Before that timer went off, you can't put no whipped cream on that pumpkin pie. But once that timer announces that things have changed, your posture changes. You go into that kitchen with a fork in one hand, a bib around your neck, and a knife in the other because you know something good is about to happen. You are prepared for the alarm. You are prepared for a time. And when the time comes, you change and put down what you're doing and chase that thing. And some of us have been waiting a long, long time for our time to come. Now let me clear something up for you early on, and that is the fact that God has set times. You or I cannot change them. Devils can't change them. No matter who gets elected into offices, can't Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 says it like this. To everything. To everything. There is a season. A time for every purpose under heaven. Everything. Everything, Pastor? You mean the stuff I didn't like? Everything. You mean the seasons I didn't enjoy? Everything. You mean the season where I almost quit? The season I almost lost my mind? The season where I almost threw in the towel? The season where I almost died? The season where I almost split up? The season where I almost laid it all down? Everything has a purpose. And there's a time for every activity, every purpose under heaven. Can I give you a piece of advice this morning before we leave? Every season you've been through, you've encountered God. Now I know that that's news to some of you because you think that we only encounter God when we're enjoying life. I can tell by your silence that I just hit home with somebody. You think the only time you encounter God because when God arises, His enemies scatter. And you are correct. But just because His enemies scatter does not mean 
The presence of God does not mean the absence of problems. Some of you have been under the delusion that if you get saved, come to church and do all the right things, that you will have no problem. So the presence of problems means an absence of your Lord. But I want to inform someone that every season you've been through, when you went through that divorce, you encountered God. When you went through the bankruptcy, I wish I had somebody to help me in this church. Because you think that only when you get the promotion, you encounter God. But no, no, no. When your credit score got knocked all the way down, that was God too. God was there with you through those tears. I know that you only think that God's there when you are shouting and and having victory dances and Jericho marches. But the Bible says he is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That when you are in distress, he draws near to the broken hearted. Why would you need him if your heart never got broken? Why would you need him to dry your tears if you never cried about anything? No, you have been with God always and you didn't even In other words, your time came in distress sometimes. Turmoil. The storms of life. Because there are set times that you have no control over. When your set time comes, I have a list. When your set time comes, when your Kairos times comes, you will be a prepared person in a prepared place. Luke chapter 22. Jesus is about to be crucified. And he tells Peter and John one of the weirdest instructions anywhere in the Bible he says I want you to go into the next town and I want you to find a man carrying a pot on the head I said a pot not pot some of y'all got excited some of y'all just told on yourself there'll be a man carrying a pot of water on his head follow him Jesus sent these two brothers on an undercover CIA mission. He said, go into town, find a man carrying a pot of water on his head, follow him. He will take you to an owner of a house. When you find the owner, ask the owner where the room is that we can have Passover. I got to be real careful because some of y'all have the gift of hospitality and y'all would just sleep with the windows open hoping somebody would come by and talk. That's what it was when I was growing up. Our doors were open all the time. Neighbors come by all the time. In 2023, you, you better give me like a week's notice. Before you just show up at my house. Because I'm going to be honest with you. I can be downstairs sometimes. And if I know my wife and Hannah are upstairs. If I hear the doorbell. You would think that we were wanted by the FBI. Because I will hear the doorbell. And then I will hear. And then silence. And then my wife will start texting me from the upstairs. Somebody's at the door. And I'll text back, I know. Answer it. It's the best way to find out who it is. Do you remember how reckless we used to live? We used to answer the phone with no caller ID. Open the door without a ring doorbell. I mean, we lived on the edge, baby. The millennials don't even know what I'm talking about. There was a time when the phone, which was attached to the house, would ring, and you would just pick it up and say, hello? Having no idea who it was that you may be saying hello to. It was a mystery. It was how we enjoyed ourselves back in the days, in the olden days, before cellular devices and caller identifications. 
But no, not today. Somebody knocks on our door. You would think that we were wanted fugitives hiding from the long arm of the law the way we disguise ourselves like we're not even in there. Jesus said, find this brother and follow him. And when you get to the house, ask the guy where the room is. Now, verse 12 says this. The owner will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. He didn't say go to the house, pay the man. He didn't say go to the house, beg the man. He didn't say go to the house and then find a caterer. He said, I have already set this up. Before you ever get to where I tell you to go, your chronos and my Kairos is going to intersect at the same place. And if you will just follow my instructions, y'all not going to help me. If you will just follow my instructions for your life, you will find out that I have already been to where I'm sending you and I have already prepared what I'm asking you to do and I am giving you favor, unprecedented favor. And all the de- imagine all the details that had to happen all at one time for this thing to take place. If the man had been 30 minutes earlier, the disciples would have missed it. If he hadn't have been carrying a water pot. And by the way, for a man, this was very, it's not like they had to go into town and find 30 different fellas carrying water pots. Usually in those days, the women carried the water pots. So it would have been very unusual for a man. So when they saw a man with a water pot, they said, that's our guy. All the details that God had to work out for this to happen exactly. So, if the disciples had been on the wrong street, if the man had been carrying the pot instead of holding it on his head, maybe his head got tired and he had to put it down for a moment. Everything had to work out exactly. And if God could do it for them. People can't stop what God's sending you. Bad breaks can't stop what God's got prepared for you. Your heritage, your lineage, who was you, what house you was born into has got absolutely no effect on what God has sent you toward. When God establishes your path, He listen, the Bible says a righteous man will fall down seven times, but God will keep snatching him up and setting him right because righteous people's steps are ordered by the Lord. The second thing that happens when it's your set time is what's yours is yours. What's yours is yours. So quit being jealous of what somebody else gets. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and he tells his two disciples another crazy set of instructions. It always seems to me when God's getting ready to do something big in my life, he gives me crazy instructions. He gave the disciples a set of crazy instructions. He said, listen, I want you to go into town and I want you to find a donkey that nobody's ever sat on before. Is there like a test? Is it like COVID? Do I swipe its nostrils and put it in the thing for 15 minutes and wait to see? How am I supposed to know if anybody's ever rode on a donkey? He says, you'll find a donkey tied up that no man has ever sat on. And when you get ready to take it. Now listen, I don't know how godly y'all are and how prayed up you are before you start church. But it would be exactly like me coming up to you saying, give me your keys. Where are you parked? When you say, what are you going to do with my car? I just tell you, the Lord hath need of it. Some of y'all loved Pastor 15 minutes ago. Y'all are reevaluating our relationship as I speak. They said, he said, go into town, find a donkey that's tied up, no man's ever ridden on. And when they ask you where you're going, tell them the Lord had need of it. And they did exactly what Jesus said. Somebody did stop them and say, Where do you think you're going with my Mercedes donkey? And he says, The Lord hath need of it. And apparently they just let them pass. Now, I have a wild imagination. And here's what I know. If God had set that donkey apart, because I can see what God did in my life, that while I wasn't chasing Him, 
He had already set me apart to be standing in front of this congregation on this Sunday morning. And when I didn't want him, he had already chosen me. My life was already branded. I, would, I could not escape him as hard as I tried to because he had chosen me for this opportunity that he has blessed me with in this season of my life. And if that is true of me, it must have been true of this donkey. And it tells me that probably at some point the owner tried to ride that rascal. And God said, nope. And he would have tried to throw his leg over that donkey and the donkey would have bucked him off. He said, I'll show that little donkey. I'll go get four strong fellas. We'll hold him down. I'm going to break this donkey. And God would have given that donkey the strength of 100 men because nobody can ride that donkey because it was prophesied all the way back in Zechariah that Jesus would be riding into Jerusalem on a donkey that no man had ever ridden before. And can I tell you that when God sets something apart for his youth, there's not a devil in hell that can make something to get on top of it and stay on top. That's a word for somebody that's been waiting on a child to come home. There's not enough devils in hell to cover your babies up. He can't hold them down. He can't make them leave. There is no, You better just keep believing and keep proclaiming and keep proclaiming because the devil has to get off of them. He can't hold down what God has anointed. What God has called his is his. If it's yours, it's yours. You don't have to be jealous because I got something. Because if it had been yours, I couldn't have it. David was the least of all of his brothers. When Samuel showed up to anoint the next king of Israel, he had seven brothers in the house. Jesse called the seven brothers. He did not think David was king material. Didn't even call David out of the sheep field. Samuel tried to anoint the big strong brothers. But the oil defied gravity. Samuel looked at his brother and said, surely this is the one. Look how good looking that boy is. Look how broad his shoulders are. Look how big his biceps and triceps are. He's got bulges where every man's supposed to have bulges. Look at him. Big, strapping, handsome man. Surely this is my guy. And the oil stayed. Because what's yours is yours. <laughs> Two different times he put him brothers through and the oil defied gravity. But the moment little David was called up out of the sheep field, the Bible says the oil flowed. The oil that was reserved for David could not be poured on anybody else's prosperity. I wish I had somebody in this church to realize if they got the house, the house wasn't made for you. If they got the promotion, the promotion wasn't made for you. If they took your girlfriend, your girlfriend wasn't your girlfriend. Because if it's yours, you'll have it. Now, 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 the next thing that I want to talk to you about is the enemy's trap won't work like he planned. When it's your set time, the enemy's trap won't work like he planned. I didn't say it won't work. The Bible says no weapon formed against me shall prosper. didn't say it won't work. Because what God likes to do is take the enemy's weapons and turn them on the enemy. He likes to take the enemy's traps that he set for you and ensnare the enemy. Y'all not going to help me. See, sometimes they work. They just don't work the way he planned. When Joseph's brothers got jealous of him, they threw him into a pit. But then when they changed their mind and said, we can't kill him, they saw an Ishmaelite army coming along, and they said, let's just sell him as a slave. And they sold their brother Joseph to the Ishmaelites. Psalm 57 and 6 says this, my enemies have set a trap for me. I'm weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. Joseph said, you intended for this vile, despicable thing to happen to me, but what you didn't count on was God was with me when you threw me in that pit. God was with me when you sold me into slavery. When I ended up in prison, God met me there because I had been favored by God even though I couldn't see Him and it wasn't what I wanted. God was with me. And what is interesting is when you study that Ishmaelite band, they probably had been traveling for months. 
Which means in order for them to be at the right place at the right time for Joseph's destiny to be unlocked, God had to set the answer in motion months before there was a problem. Oh, I, I thought somebody might get excited there. So that, that leads us to the next thing you learn about God's set time. Your answer is older than your problem. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God said in Isaiah, before you call, I will answer. What? What? I've been spending all this chronos begging. Bible says seek. It says knock. It says ask, and you'll get. I've been doing that. I've been spending all this chronos, and you mean to tell me before I ever ask him, he already answered. He already prepared the answer before I ask or realized there was a problem. That ought to change somebody's prayer life right there. Right now, going in 2024, somebody ought to grab hold of that and say, you know what? That means I'm going to stop worrying all through my day. I'm just going to get up every day and say, Father, thank you that you've already set up breakthrough. You've already set up favor for me. You've already made a path for me to walk down. I don't have to worry about how I'm going to because before I ever see a problem, you have already gave me the solution. And if that's the case, I will roll over and go to sleep and let you be my comfort. Not only that, but when it's God's time, you'll find overflow in your desert. One time Jesus was preaching so long, the people followed him all the way out into the desert. It was Sunday, so Chick-fil-A was closed. And there was nothing else for them to eat. And the disciples came and said, Jesus, the people are hungry. And Jesus said, feed them. So they went around and asked for what everybody had. And one little boy's mama had given him a Long John Silver's two-piece with three biscuits. He brought that fish and, and, and a couple of five biscuits to Jesus and said, this is all we got. Jesus said, have the people sit down in groups of 50 and 100 and come back and tell me how many there are. And they come back and they said, there's 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And Jesus said, okay. And he blessed the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and the disciples took it and fed thousands. But that's not the miracle. I mean, it is a miracle, but that's not all the miracle. The miracle is the overflow. Because pay attention, Jesus had them count. He said, put them in groups of 50 and 100. They came back and they said, there's 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Jesus had a head count. Why was there 12 baskets left over? On purpose, Jesus added extra. Y'all not going to get this. Y'all not going to get this. But see, the disciples didn't believe that it was possible. How many disciples was there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. How many disciples doubted? Say twelve. How many disciples didn't believe? Say twelve. How many baskets was left over? Say 12. So at the end of this miracle, Jesus performed. Not only did he feed everybody until they were full, but he gave each disciple a basket of leftovers to take home to say, that's who I am. And when you walk in my blessing, I've got leftovers to spare. I don't just bless you now. I'll send you home and give you food for later. I want to run in this church. Even in a desert, I will give you overflow. I'll add extra on purpose just to show you how bad I am. That's why I don't argue with people that say, I don't believe in tithing. I say, go ahead, don't. Because here's what the Bible tells me in Malachi about tithing. It says, if you honor God with your income, that means you give the tithe. It says, God will open up the windows of heaven. And pour you out a blessing that you can't contain? I don't know about nobody else, but I can take a blessing I can't contain. 
I'm talking about blessing with no boundaries, blessing with no limitations, blessing that my checkbook can't even, I don't have enough places for all these zeros. Thank you, Lord. Those are my leftovers. I don't argue with people. I don't argue with people because you want to cut yourself out of that, go out ahead. But I will tell you this, when you get in God's perfect time, the quail and the fish will find you. Some of you are trying to find blessings everywhere. You're looking for blessings. You're reading books. You're going to seminars. You're chasing prophets suchy much all over the county trying to find your blessing. i got to get my blessing. I'm going to tell you something. When you are in God's timing, the quail and the fish will hunt you down. The Israelites in the Old Testament were in the desert, and they got sick of eating manna. And I know we talk bad about Israel because they didn't like manna, but I grew up poor in the country. We had brown beans. Y'all call them pinto beans, soup beans. We called them brown beans when I was a kid. We had brown beans and cornbread four nights a week. I don't care how much you like pinto beans. Four nights a week is a lot to eat anything. And when I first got married, there was five years, I dared my wife, don't you ever soak a bean in this house. I will never eat another pinto bean. I mean, I'll eat a bowl now. It's been a long time. My PTSD has. <laughs> I used to get triggered just walk in the room and smell pinto beans. Somebody's eating pinto beans in here. <sighs> the Israelites got sick of eating manna and they came to Moses and complained like Moses was the chef. Moses said, God, the people want meat. He said, give them meat. Here's Moses' answer to God. Hey, don't you love it how we talk to God? Like we, in, we fill him in like he don't know. Moses said, God, I just did a count out here. And if we butchered every pig, every, we said, I no pigs, but I'm, I'm, I'm talking about my farm. If we, if we plucked every chicken, if we, if we butchered every every cow and heifer we got out there we wouldn't have nearly enough to feed these two million Israelites And God asked a simple question that I believe he's asking us in 2024 numbers 11 and 23 he says when did I become weak <laughs> you know what God did God shifted the wind And the Bible says quail filled the camp. And they were flying three feet off the ground. They eventually were caught and harvested by the Israelites. And each Israelite had 50 bushels of quail meat. Now here's what you got to understand. They were out in the desert. Quail don't drift that far from water. In order for the quail to be that far... God had to shift the wind and blow the blessing from where it was trying to be located to where God intended it to be. I don't know who this is for this morning, but I believe God's getting ready to shift the wind and blow you a blessing, and you don't even see it coming. You think it's impossible. You think it can't show up here. My family's too dysfunctional. I'm too broke. I don't, I'm too old. I don't have enough. And God's getting ready to shift the wind and bring you a blessing that you don't even have to work for. Because here's the deal. The quail voluntarily surrendered because all God has to do is shift the winds he can cause the right person to come into your life tomorrow they can write the check that change your life he'll just shift the wind all he's got to do is shift the wind and that tumor can dry up and you never have to worry about it again you don't believe me the same thing happened to Peter in Luke chapter 11, or in Luke chapter 5, Jesus said, can I borrow your boat? And he went out and he talked and he came back. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm cleaning my nets. I fished all night. I didn't catch anything. Jesus said, go back out. Peter said, I'm a professional fisherman, Mr. Carpenter man. I 
fished all night and didn't catch anything. And nighttime is when you catch fish. It's impossible. We always trying to tell God what's possible. It's impossible to catch fish in the daylight. He said, go back out and throw your net out. And Peter said, if you say so, I will. And the Bible says Peter went out and he threw his net out and his net was about to burst. He tried to pull the net up and his boat was about to sink. He had to yell for help and another boat came and they caught so much fish that it almost sank. Two boats. All because Peter said, I fished all night and caught nothing. But if you say so, I will. Nothing looked like it was blessed, but Peter was in a set time. Nothing looked like it was working, but Peter was in a set time. And what Jesus was telling Peter was, just because it didn't happen when you thought it should happen. Just because it didn't happen last night don't mean it's not going to happen this morning. Just because it didn't happen last year doesn't mean it won't happen this year. Just because it hasn't showed up yet doesn't mean that I don't have something on the way. The quail and the fish will find you. You just keep doing what I told you. And the Bible says, and here's my my next one, is it will leave you astounded. The Bible says Peter was astonished at the amount of fish they caught. He was amazed, bewildered. He'd never seen that size of a catch. Could it be that in 2024 there's a set time for some of you that God is going to leave you amazed at what He's going to do in your life? Could it be that if... You know what? Can I just pause for a minute and talk about the importance of that little phrase? Jesus, you said so. So I'm going to do it. Can I just pause for a minute and say how important it was that Peter just said, this don't make no sense, but I'm going to do it anyway? This, is, this, isn't, this isn't how it's done, but I'm going to do it because you told me to do it. And if I obey what you say, At some point, you got to get past yourself and past your reasoning and past your thinking and past your sense of trying to figure it all out and just say, because you said so. Because you said so. Some of you have spent the last year waiting on God to move so you can get something, and he's been waiting on you to move so he can give you something. Uh-huh. Maybe you should approach this new year like it's a set time for God to perform miracles that you've been waiting on. Yeah. Maybe you should approach this year like it's a set time. You didn't get the loan? Try again. You didn't get the house this time? Must not have been the one. Because if it had been the one, what you need to understand is if it's supposed to be yours, it don't have no choice but to become yours. Because it's anointed. It's set apart. Things didn't work out for you in this last season. I get it. It's hard. It's hard to come to church week after week and hear about all these promises that God's got. And none of them seem to be coming my way. Kronos, I've spent, I have spent weeks, I've spent months, I've spent years I keep coming, I keep coming, I keep praying, I, I keep being authentic before God. I keep praising, I keep worshiping, I keep believing. That's all chronos. That's what you've measured. And because you have measured so much, you expect God to respond. But what you don't understand is, His caros comes when he's ready. Not when you're ready. Not when circumstances are ready. When he's ready. 
There's a season for everything. Isn't that what Solomon said? Matter of fact, he puts it like this. There's a time to give birth and a time to die. If God orchestrated both of those things, that means God's involved in both of them. So when the baby is born, we thank God. And the Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. How come we hold on to that life and don't ever want to let it go? Because we don't believe God can be involved in that decision at all. But the Bible plainly says it's a time to give birth and a time to die. And God's involved in both of them. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot what was planted. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. Time to tear down and one to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. There's a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. There's a time to search. Y'all don't like to hear this one. There's a time to give up as lost. There's a time to keep, time to throw away. There's a time to tear apart and a time to sew together. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. There's a time to love and a time to hate. There's a time for war and there's a time for peace. 28 times the book of Ecclesiastes tells you that there is a time or a season to do something. 28 times the book tells you there is a time or a season for you to do something. 28 different times, 28 different seasons, but you know the one time and the one season you don't find? A time to quit. There's some rough stuff in there. There's time to be born and time to die and time to plant and time to tear up. I mean, there's some rough stuff in there. Time to let go, time to gather. But never do you find a time or a season that you're supposed to quit. It's about time to do a whole lot of things except quit. It's about time for you to get excited again and believe God again. It's about time for you to put faith in His promises again. It's about time for you to pray again with faith again. It's about time for you to witness again about how good God has been. And if He never answers another prayer, He's been mighty good to you. It's about time that you come to the altar again. It's about time that you tell the devil where he can go again. It's about time that you release your faith and choke out your fear. It's about time you cut some people loose that are holding you back and chase after God's purpose for your life because you want it more than you want them. It's about time for the church of Jesus Christ to arise and be shining the glory of the Lord in a dark and desperate generation. It's about time that we show the world that is lost and undone that there's a better way. You can do a whole lot of things with your time. You can do a whole lot of things in this season. But the one thing you cannot do is quit. You can't quit. Not now. Not ever. You have come too far to only come this far. God's got a purpose for you. And I know you're measuring it with Kronos. You're saying, Pastor, you don't know how long. You don't know how long. But you don't need more Kronos. 
You're waiting on Kairos. When God gets ready, when His time is ready, you can't miss it, and hell can't hold it back. It's, it's about time. If this has resonated in anybody's spirit this morning, why don't you just close your eyes? Why don't you just start believing again? Why don't you dare to believe again? It says it's, it's about time. It's, it's about time. I should start believing again. I should start having faith again. It's about, it's about time. I should start singing these songs with conviction again. Because I remember when I first got saved, I, I believed everything that God said. and I've just gotten so jaded and so hurt and so wounded. It's about time for me to take God at His word again. Yeah, life's not easy, but it's about time for me to say, I trust in God. No matter what I see, no matter what I experience, no matter what I feel, no matter what's opposing me, I trust in God. It's, it's about time for me to leave, leave the sins of my life and walk in righteousness. It's... It's about time for me to dedicate myself to God totally, unashamedly, because I want more of Him and less of me. It's about time. If you need to come and make contact with God this morning, this altar's open. Be my guest. Especially those of you that have come to the end of this year and you've been like, you know what? I just about quit. I can't quit now I just can't quit now I just can't quit now I'm going to hold on one more day I'm going to hold on one more season I'm going to hold on one more it's about time for me to hold on get a new grip with my tired hand